0: that pen 15 edition pop breaks after party for our favorite shows today we are here to talk about hulu's original series pen 15 specifically their second season which aired a couple of weeks ago to do this uh, i am joined by pop breaks own matt taylor how are you doing today matt
1: good i'm excited to relive middle school trauma
0: yes for those of you who don't know uh Pen15 is a series, a uh, pretty unusual show, uh, about how awful and beautiful and messy and traumatic uh, middle school is. Uh, in order to do that, the creators of this show, uh, Maya Erskine, Anna Conkle, and Sam Svibulman, uh decided that they couldn't possibly tell the stories that they wanted to tell by just uh, having age-appropriate actors, so they were brave enough. Well, at least Maya and a- and Anna to take on the role of their 13 year old self. Um, and uh, but in order to maintain authenticity, all the other characters on the show are age-appropriate, and so it kind of it creates a very unusual mix. Uh, something that some people have an easier time taking than others. Somebody who has a wonderful time taking it in is Matt Taylor, who loves this show more than anyone else that I know. So I'm very excited to talk to you today about its second season. Um, in the first season of this show, we kind of meet Maya and Anna, who are best friends. They're starting junior high uh, and they're having uh, they're. Kind of entering into puberty and all of the complications and messiness of puberty, um, but interestingly, this is also a period piece that takes place at the turn of the century, uh, not the last century, but this one around the year 2000. <laughs> and uh, and so we have in this is the first season, we have storylines about uh, like our characters getting aim screen names for the first time and all of the shenanigans that they could get in with that stuff. And, you know, also just typical teen stuff like learning how to masturbate and fun things like that. Um, having crushes on boys that have no personalities, you know, the stuff we all went through season two takes it kind of up a notch and uh, they really, they go into some interesting corners. And I wanted to just on a big picture level to start off, ask you what you think, Matt, about the transition from season one into season two.
1: Yeah, it was surprising. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. I I had only watched the trailer um, like once or twice. And then um, I had only one review of the show before watching. And um, like the first season is a season of television that I've like, you know, I watched it like once in its entirety and then watched it again with a friend. And, like, it was, like, such good comfort food amidst all, like, the awkwardness that I would just put it on in the background sometimes um while, like, doing other things just because some of those episodes were so funny, specifically the the famous AIM episode from season one. But um season two, while being funny, is, like, so dark and stressful and, like, um like deeply triggering for anybody that was awkward in middle school like that, <laughs> Like, oh like i don't know if i'll ever watch this again <laughs> because it was just like it well it felt too real but in a way that is like genuinely thrilling like it's 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 great television and um you know i've been i've been championing the show and trying to get people to watch it um ever since season one but like this is the season where I'm just kind of like, oh, like, this is like genuine, like, artistry on television. And it, it it's so much more than just the gimmick of two 30-year-old women playing teenage girls. And it's just like, I'm like, yeah, like, you have to watch it. Like, it just, it's, it's like, it became something so different and so mature um, between the two seasons.
0: Yeah, I would broadly agree. And I think that because of that, it actually it worked much better for me in its first season. Uh, I mean, in this season than it did in its first season. Um, I'm one of the basically only people that I know who kind of didn't love the first season of this show. I kind of... I I liked when they would get serious and when they would get a little bit darker, I liked some of the kind of nostalgia factor of like, Oh, remember the early 2000s and being a kid back then. Um, and, and I thought that they were really smart about some, some very subtle, uh, like observations about that time in your life, that time in the world, you know? Um, and, And that was something that appealed to me. But I I kind of brushed up against the sort of like cringe factor that I felt like they were really leaning into in the first season. And I understand that when you're talking about a show about teenagers especially very very young teenagers going through middle school like that is an incredibly awkward and uncomfortable time for literally everyone like involved in the process so I don't disagree with the with the choice to kind of lean into some of the more cringy elements of it but it did make it a little bit unpleasant to watch for me and I found that in season two uh I felt much more at home with the deeply trauma inducing things that go on in this season and the truly like emotional deaths and, and villainy of, of middle school life that they really kind of plunge into. Um, and so i found it to be a much better experience to the point where I actually would like to watch it again, because I feel like it was like going to therapy a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let's be clear. I will watch it again, but like,
1: i i i don't know if i'm watching it three or four times like i did the first season
0: (laughs) yeah well that's yeah it's not and i don't think you could put this on in the background the way that you maybe could have in the first season because it just grabs your attention and really kind of like it, it just is so engrossing that like i can't imagine trying to do other things with it on i feel like you would eventually just get stuck in front of the tv anyway um and it pays off in
1: arcs so well like where like we're in the first season you know you have the aim episode and then aim is mentioned but like in general like after that but it's just like in general it's all contained to that episode and then you know the, the same thing like they have the beauty um pageant episode in season one that's one of my other favorites that's like one episode and then um with this one though like what i think makes it stronger is like you're involved for these like season-long arcs between all these characters that pay off really, really well, but are, like, stressful in the leading up to those payoffs and everything. Like, there there are some moments in the season that are just, like, so upsetting, where it ends up mostly okay, but just, like, like truly, it's like if I have to watch that scene of them in the changing room with their moms again, I might just, like, pass out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's true. It's very true. And I think that it is really interesting because the first season has this sort of vibe of, like, everybody coming together and being like, okay, what is some crazy stuff, some, like, things that have stuck with us about that moment in our life? Let's build specific episodes around them, like you said. And in this season, it's much more of, like, we have several distinct stories that we're going to tell, and we're going to really, like, take the time to tell them in a very sophisticated, like, subtly sophisticated way, I think, that is... That's really impactful. Um, but now that we've kind of done a little bit of a prelude, let's get into the impact <laughs> that we're talking about here. What is, like, out of all of the stories that they talk about in this in this season, what's the one that stands out most to you in terms of either speaking directly to what you like about the show, what you think the show does best, or just what was the most gripping to watch?
1: I mean, I'm sure we'll get to the Gabe of it all, so I'll come back to that. But I do think this is at its heart, like, Anna and Maya's show, the, the, it's, it's partially autobiographical and everything, and, like, um, I found the, the relationship between Anna and her mother, who is divorcing her father over the course of the, um, second season, um, is just, like, one of the most, like, gripping, but just, like, upsetting relation mother-daughter relationships I've seen it it really reminded me of um Lady Bird honestly it's like the closest I felt to something nailing the Lady Bird mother-daughter dynamic in quite a while in just like how you know they have this imperfect relationship but like there is like this genuine love buried beneath it all and like you kind of get the sense by the end of it that like all things considered they're going to be okay there's going to be some sort of understanding between them eventually when like anna grows up and um they're done with this like awkward divorce period and i just think the way it builds up to that i mentioned before there's this episode when the girls go shopping with their moms and they get into fights with their moms and um it's like so painful to watch and then throughout the season you see the way anna really internalizes a lot of her father's complaints about her mother in the, during the divorce prece- proceedings and everything, and it's just so um, upsetting. And like it, you see how much it impacts uh, Anna's mom, who is um, played by, uh, I'm blanking on her name, um, from Magnolia. Uh, Melora Wa- Walters. Yes, Melora Walters, yes. Um, she's played so well by Melora Walters. And, um, and then when you get to the ending, and I don't know if we want to get into spoilers, but just like their final scene together like it's just so beautiful. Like it's just it. It is such. Um. It's so rewarding after seven episodes of just being like God. Like I just want them to be okay. And it like it's it's a very simple scene, but it is so so rewarding. And I was just like, this is how you do like season long character driven arcs. Um. Like that are dramatic in a comedy, basically.
0: Yeah, I think that that relationship that. Anna has with both of her parents really serves as the emotional spine for the entire season and I think that the choice to do that is is really pays off so well in the finale which we will get into um I think that that relationship that you're talking about with her mother is is a real highlight I think that um the relationship that they build with her father is I think equal in terms of how how smart and how well observed it is even if it Mm. feels kind of like it's less attention grabby you know because it feels like what we're focusing on is how awful she's being to her mom and how complicated that is for her mother and for her and just all of that that you spoke so eloquently about but what that is all happening against is her relationship with her dad and the way that that shifts over time, I think is is very effective as well um, to the point where you get in the finale. But yeah, I think that it's really, for those of you who have not watched this this show yet, um, season one wraps up towards the end with Anna's parents telling her that they will be getting a divorce. Um, and season two picks up with that as a central plot line throughout the whole season where basically, They've decided to separate, and they're planning on on getting their divorce finalized, but they're still living in the same house together. That's obviously putting a lot of strain on Anna, and we see how that how she tries to find you know kind of safe haven and distraction in many ways over the course of the show. Um, and this also. Correlates with Maya, uh, who is, again, Maya Erskine, who's the co-creator of the series, co-star. Her story this season, where she is just kind of extending what kind of began towards the end of last season, where she has an encounter with a boy named Brent because uh, (laughs) because her her crush who she doesn't want to have as a crush because he's not cool uh, because they're like friends and it's weird that she would like him even though obviously she likes him and he likes her but that's weird because they're supposed to be friends and isn't that gross Um, which is so perfectly middle school where you're just like but you guys like each other just dates you know but it's like of course not they couldn't <laughs> so that so what happens towards the end of the season to be clear um in season 1 is that this friend Sam um he uh pretends to be someone else on Aim as many people may or may not have done at that <laughs> in that time of their life and uh and basically makes Maya fall for him and then he tells her that it's really him and he thinks that he's going to have the great kind of like romantic comedy payoff and instead she's horrified as she should be and uh, kind of goes into the arms of this like cooler boy who uh, is honestly very lame. But is his status is clearly a cool kid for, for reasons that only make sense to a middle school mind. Um, and yeah, and the season kind of ends with her engaging in some sort of a, <laughs> I guess technically him going to second base on her and Anna at the same time. But like, if you could even call it that, I don't know if you really can. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, no. and, that, and that's sort of the scandal that like rocks the middle school um, as you open up season two and her whole arc throughout the rest of the season is kind of coming out, uh, trying to trying to sort out her relationship with Brent and what that really is and what she even wants from it. And, you uh, and, along the way trying to find herself in, in an interesting way that mirrors sort of what's going on with Anna, but in a, in a different way. And I'm curious, given that that is the sort of the two main arcs and how they kind of like interact. So meaningfully, how do you think that the show balanced sort of like the real significant kind of like high stakes of Maya, of Anna's family life with the more relatable, like high stakes for a middle schooler, but maybe not quite as high stakes in relationship to Anna that Maya is going through through the season.
1: Well, it's funny um, to go to 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 start with um, their performances, both Maya and and his performances um, as their thirteen year old selves are so interesting to me because obviously they are playing thirteen year olds, so there is like this this big element to it. But what I think makes the performances so special is like sure there's the obvious humor in them they're playing teenagers. But like when you pay attention to the especially the dramatic scenes, you realize how much internal work they're doing and I think while Maya's subplot throughout the season was less um, you know um, plot driven, it really was more of her trying on these various different identities as she tried to figure out what she who she wanted to be um Maya Erickson does so much great um internal work to play the character and it's like it's uncomfortable quite a bit but like it's really really thrilling on some level and um there's like this this sadness to her um in some scenes that like it's almost incredible she's able to pull it off and that you see her as a 13 year old and not as like like a grown woman, basically, because it's just, she's doing such good, such good um, work and she's so deeply in character. And I just think, I mean, like, you know, her storyline ends with her heart being broken by yet another boy, but like, you see, um, there's the school play that sort of serves the focal point of um, the season. And um at the end, she does. We're told she does quite well in the school play, whatever that means by school play standards. And um, <laughs> you see how happy she is about that. And it's uh, it's again like similar to this scene with Anna talking to her mom. It's very rewarding to see her be happy in the end. And that's what sort I of think makes the show so special. It just it's so knowledgeable about what. Matters for kids at the age and everything, and what like what experiences are defining both like in big terms, like the school play or my parents' divorce, but also like in these little experiences with people,
0: yeah, I think that that's really, really smart. I think that that's something that this show does really well, and I'm very happy that they made the choice for if what Anna is going through is more of a big kind of like where anybody would be like, Oh God, her family is so toxic right now. It so must be so traumatic for her to be there that they would pair that for, for Maya with the sort of more typical like traumas and angsts and complications that you might go through at that time of your life that are equally as, as compelling and destructive and incredible uh, when you're that age. And I think that that's something that, you know, a show that, uh, that like a show like Euphoria, for instance, HBO's Euphoria kind of forgets sometimes because uh, <laughs> I think that is sh- that show has the opinion that like literally every teenager is experiencing the worst possible like made for TV movie a- that you could possibly have. <laughs> and it's just that you're not looking close enough. And um certainly like there's something to be said for that approach. But I do like the fact that like, actually like teenagers go through like normal stuff that you might not think is that, sensational but it actually is very serious for them and it matters and it is the basis for the experiences that literally make us who we are so they do matter and in that way they do have stakes and that and treating it that way is not like a parody of something it's not like oh how silly we're like taking these like 13 year olds uh like problems so seriously it's like no that's those experiences literally are the experiences that make you who you are so i can't think of anything higher stakes than that in that sense and i really like that they're willing to to kind of contrast the two and and show that they really work well together uh in a way i I really like that aspect of this season oh yeah i mean one of the best
1: episodes of the season is um the episode where Maya and Anna um, experiment with Wiccan, with, with like, being witches. (laughs) And um, it's perfect on so many levels because, for one thing, it's just very, very funny. But, like, it's very smartly showing two 13-year-old girls, like, trying to be kids. And it, like, it really does a good job of showing, like, and, and, like, leaving the audience kind of guessing in a good way as to, like, are they like playing, or are they like genuinely thinking they're doing witchcraft? And it's so like it's so fascinating to watch the two of them play it so well because you realize that at a certain point that like neither of them really know, and it's very confusing. Like you you get to the <laughs> that they're making up the lore as they go along, but then there's also one of the the best things I've heard in any TV show this year when Maya. Anna in the woods and is like oh like i thought i heard someone behind me and she was like and she goes yeah i sent an owl to protect you <laughs> in like <laughs> and i'm i'm just like this is this is brilliant writing right here and it just yeah it's like you know we all have those moments maybe we didn't all experiment with witchcraft but like we all have those random things that like for a day we're like really obsessed with in middle school or like totally believe and then like it makes an impact on our lives in some way, even if it's just like uh, something that we're not going to pick up on for years and years and years. But then one day when you're in your twenties and you think about something, you're like, Oh shit. Like that was a formative experience. And I'm happy to show,
0: pays attention to those things. Yeah. I think that that the way that they handle the witchcraft of it all is just so incredible because it is extremely funny, but they also walk, as you said, they walk this like incredibly fine line where like, it's it's like it's that moment where like they start out playing like it's clearly like they're they're running away from Maya's from, uh, from Anna's family having a big fight right and Maya's just trying to distract Anna and is like what can we do to kind of distract you we'll pretend like we're witches like they don't say that explicitly but that's clearly what's going on but then they start to like psych each other out and they're like, maybe we are witches. And it's so funny. <laughs> but it also is just like, it's they're at that age where, and I can really relate to this, where it's like, you think you're too old to like make believe, like play make believe, but there's still like that tiny bit of you that is like childlike where you're like, but like, what if I'm wrong and it really is happening? You know, like, what if I, I remember there was like a time when I was like 11 or 12 and I was in the shower And I was like, and I noticed that like the water would like run off the tips of my fingers in the direction of my finger. And I was like, wait a second. Like, can I control the way that water moves? Like, am I like Aquaman? Like what is going on? And like, I was old enough to know that like, I didn't have magical powers, but like in that moment I was like, but maybe I do, you know? So I actually like really related to the (laughs) witchcraft aspect of it. I was like, I could really, yeah. but, and I think that's what this show does really well is like, it takes like random stuff that happened that you probably wouldn't want to tell anybody. Um, <laughs> and and just, just like, yeah, no, everybody goes through weird shit and it's kind of bizarre and hilarious. And also like weirdly means a lot if you think about it. Um, and that's what that witchcraft arc was to me. Um, but it does get into like a really dark place. Like, what did you think about the fact that like Maya kept pulling hair from her from her head and and putting it into poor brent's locker
1: <laughs> I think you know it shows the way that like when you're a teenager you're kind of being um i mean this is not by no means like re- a revolutionary thought but like like when you're a teenager you're kind of being like forced to experience these intense emotions but you're not always like equipped to and then like, you might not have the support system to help you work out that, like, th- those feelings. And I mean, like, you know, like, in this case, Anna has this in- insane crush on this guy, Brent, who is just, like, a total asshole to her. In a way that does not, like, you know, he's a 13-year-old boy. It's not like, he, it's like, it's indicative of his character. He's just being a 13-year-old boy. But, um... <laughs> time in addition to having like this guy who she's you know 13 year old in love with and like um and then also like she's being like slut shamed for the first time in her life because of what it had just like the rumors of what happened at the dance and everything like that like she like is filled with a lot of like weird self-hatred and everything and it's just like you know like that's what I think makes the show so special and what I like including the first season it's sort of thing like we are we were just talking about this in some so many ways like there we all have these middle school experiences i think that like are deeply scarring that we probably don't actually think about until like we're in our 20s and maybe in therapy and being like why am i the way i am and then we remember something random from middle school and it's like that's like what i think like this is just showing it's like you know yeah, I I mean, I never, like, tore my hair out and put it into, like, someone's locker. But, like, I for sure did an equivalent of that with people I had crushes on, where it was just, like, you think back and you're like, oh, that's mortifying. But, like, you know, you're hormonal at 13. How are you going to possibly process this information at that time? And I think that's a really smart way of showing it. And it's the sort of thing where it's, like, the tone of those scenes is dark because when you're 13, it feels really dark. And then you watch it as an adult and you just think like, oh, like I remember this emotional standpoint, but I know on some level it'll be okay. Like maybe not totally okay, but like none of us are. <laughs> it, yeah,
0: well, that's... It, yeah. It's smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I weirdly like, I don't know, the whole Brent and Maya situation made me think a little bit back to a show that we talked about the last time that you were on goodbye to all that um normal (laughs) never thought i would
1: compare these two
0: shows (laughs) but like the central relationship of that series starts out with these people who have this like interesting compelling connection they're in high school not middle school and that's very meaningfully (laughs) different um but they have this Relationship, But their status at school does not match their status, like their connection within their relationship. And so they can't make sense of it. And so they end up being like, at, at, at least in the high school phase of that series, the, the boy who is high status ends up being pretty terrible for the his low status in a way that he doesn't even fully understand because he's just trying to make sense of how to how to have this in his life while still maintaining the social status that exists Mm -hmm. at school and I like I think there's like an interesting echo of that in what's going on with Brent and Maya where I think Brent like really does like Maya and is interested in her but she's such like a weird girl that like he's not allowed to like her and so he like wants to like her but then she kind of but doesn't want to admit that he likes her. And then she wants to push the issue because she's like, I need to know what this is, of course. Like that because you can't just let somebody just like hang there in the wind like that. But of course, he's 13. He doesn't know, you know. And I mean, you know, there's plenty of boys our own age who don't know that either. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that it just and then the more that she pushes, the more he's like, I can't handle this this is way too much for me I just want to like make gay jokes and uh work out <laughs> even though I weigh like 90 pounds <laughs> and uh and yeah so that's and so that's their story and I, I really I thought that that was I, I just it made me laugh that like the last time I was like seriously considering a Hulu series it was it had a weirdly similar um <laughs> aspect to it
1: Well, yeah, status plays a big part in this show in many ways. I never thought of it in that way, but, like, Maya's other, I guess, I mean, one of her other I guess you would say love interests of um, Sam, a.k.a. um, Fly Miami Bro um, 19, I think, was the number Um, um, like I think they show so well in this season that a very perceptive thing that happens with boys in middle school of, like, when one boy gets accepted by, like, I guess you would say the jocks, even though, as we just established, Brent is, like, 90 pounds. And um, <laughs> it's, like, it is very, very smart in the way, like, those relationships change between, like, the athletic guys and the guys who are not. And um, I love the, um, the way you see in these little exchanges the way Sam, um Sam – Wants to be a nice guy, but like school just does not socialize boys who are athletic to be nice in a weird way for whatever reason we can get into about that. And there, I, I, I that actor who's like probably like 15 is like so, like incredibly talented I think, and just in just doing like nuance because like there's the great episode where Maya in her many attempts to try to find an identity joins the wrestling team mainly because she wants to. <laughs> the boys while wrestling and, um, and Sam calls her some horrible nickname. I can't remember what it was. And, um, and you just see on his face instantly after saying it, how bad he feels. And I just think that's another thing that is so relatable, relatable on, on the show of like every single person has that thing where, when they were 13 or 12, they said something so mean to somebody. And then like, just instantly was like oh shit like I shouldn't have done that and I just think that was such a it's not like a major sub a major subplot but it was just I was like yeah like this is how you know it gets in middle school when clicks start kind of more concrete concretely forming and everything it was very very smart
0: yeah I totally agree that actor's name is Taj Cross and I think that he's excellent and like my if I had one complaint about this season it's that there wasn't enough of him because I just Mm -hmm. missed him in the episodes so that he wasn't a feature but like I understand it's literally not his show so it's okay but but I just, I like him, he's such a cute kid. And he's just like, he does such a great job playing that role of like, I'm just a nice kid trying to figure out how to exist in the world. And the world is not nice as you said, and it's hard and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so I really, I liked his little arc that he gets in those few episodes. And I agree, I think that they call her something along the lines of like, big and smelly bush or something like that, which is yeah, just terrible. awful. Oh yeah, and it's, like, it was, it's the meanest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> and then they shorten it into like its abbreviated form, which is just even meaner for some reason. <laughs> Where it's just like, <laughs> oh no, and and such a such a kid thing to do. Like I mean, we've all we've all heard that sort of thing happen, uh, even if we weren't the ones who participated in it. And it's just yeah, and I, I totally agree with you spotlighting that scene because it's just that moment of like we see him say it for the first time. He's the one who comes up with it meaningfully. Like they're, mm-hmm. all the other boys are kind of like shitting on her and and Anna because they're like, why are they here? And also like Brent is embarrassed because he has a crush on Maya. So of course he has to be mean to her in front of his friends. And then for Sam to feel like one of the guys, he kind of just tries to kind of top that, whatever they're saying to get a, to get a laugh. And then everybody likes it. And so he's like, oh, great. This is like a fun thing that I can do and I can say. And it like makes me feel accepted. And then he says it in the heat of the moment to Maya in a similar sort of context and tone where like they're kind of like kind of they're kind of like being mean to each other a little bit. But like in a playful way and while they're wrestling and he and he says it and it's like so clear, like that's the line and he crossed it and that's like the first time that that kid's probably experienced that right like that's how we know what the line is by crossing it by accident you know um and yeah it just was like instantly heartbreaking he wanted to take it back immediately but you can't and then it was like and then it took over the whole school and and it's just <laughs> that's what happens and it's it's really that is that is where trauma um begins
1: <laughs> it's part you know that's that's part of the show it's the therapy of being like, oh, I remember when that happened to me in middle school and it's just, it's so, it's so deeply upsetting.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think that like we've seen so many iterations of like the nice normal kid gets kind of seduced by the cool kids and ends up be like turning his back or her back on her friends and then eventually learns the lesson that like you should just be with your friends because cool kids suck. Um, which is just a uniform role 100% of the time. Uh, and so when the fact that that was kind of his storyline for this season, at first I was kind of like, oh, well, we've kind of done this. Like, I don't really know if we need this. But then it's like, no, like, that is such a core experience of that age. Somebody on this show has to have it. And for, for what it was, I think that they did a pretty good job. I don't know. What do you think in terms of the fact that, like, out of all of the stories that they're telling this season that was probably the most kind of cliche for that age it was the most cliche but at the same time one of like the subtle things that i appreciated with it
1: um was like it nailed this very peculiar thing especially in middle school like i don't think you could do this quite as well in high school because high school is just a different world but like in the per in in middle school the cool kids are never really cool. They're just kind of like the kids that for whatever reason are kind of told like, okay, like we're deeming you most important, but they're also awkward because everyone is awkward in middle school. And it's like, you see the scenes of like, like Brent and um, Sam and all these like guys, like being cool on the wrestling team and like performing masculinity and everything. And it's just like, it's so funny. Cause it's like, Oh, you're just like, nerds like it's like you just like for whatever it was decided that you'll be cool for these three years and like um there's the really i forgot whose whose house it is but in the premiere when they're at that pool party and for one of the cool kids and it's a big deal that they're going and everything like that and um like the mom just keeps showing up to be like don't go in the house with a wet bathing suit and it's like it's like <laughs> That's an obvious joke to me, but at the same time, it's a lot more than just a joke because it's like, yeah, like, like, these people who we in middle school were just like, oh, like, you're cool. And I mean, I remember in middle school being like, well, I can't be friends with this person because they're cool and I'm not. Like, it's just like, oh, like, they're just nerds, too. <laughs> like, it's just like, we're all hopelessly awkward and we'll be in therapy in 10 years. <laughs> and, um, like, and I think this like that's what made this that's a little bit better for me of like it's not really about sam being cool it's about him being like oh like figuring out what type of nice person he wants like what type of person he wants to be how nice he wants to be and it's like you know i don't know what the show's plans are for the future and i think sam is probably going to have an interesting arc in season three when tied in with gabe especially who i'm sure we'll get to but like what I found interesting was, like, I don't know how cool or not cool Sam will be when they get to high school, but, like, I like that at the end, you kind of feel with his arc, like, oh, like, however he ends up, he'll probably be a nice guy, which is, like, refreshing, versus, like, Brent, who will probably also remain popular, but, like, might not be a nice guy just because he never had, like, the humbling experience that Sam had. And I think... They're very perceptive, the writers, about like how middle school makes an impact on people.
0: <laughs> yeah, and also it gave us the gift of the of the boys getting outraged that he turned his back on weasels. So, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I love it because I absolutely, I, I wasn't into weasels, but I absolutely was doing like bullshit magazine stuff like that in middle school about, <laughs> probably. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's just it was perfect. I just I love what it's like like we don't even know who you are anymore, man, <laughs> in response to him like not being that interested in the in the magazine about weasels that they had created themselves. <laughs> just like, it's it's so just short. so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh but yeah, I think um I think we're gotta we gotta talk about Gabe now, um, because we've been teasing it for so long and I mean he's such a core part of this show. Uh, I honestly don't. I mean, this might say a lot about me and how I processed the first season, but I don't really remember Gabe making a huge impact on me in the first season. I don't really remember that much about him, but he steals the show in season in season Mm -hmm. two. Um, he is he's as we've said he's he's friends with um with Sam and and their friend Jafir who is played. (laughs) He gets to have those like indignant moments. Jafir does, and I think. His yeah, his his name is Tony Espinoza, and he just like he nails every line that they give him perfectly, and it's it's just like a consistent like perfect laugh. Where it's like it would be so easy to mug for the camera and try to make like a meal out of it, and he just like he does it straight in a way that always makes me laugh. That kid, he's great. Um, but yeah, so so but Gabe is kind of the center of that little that little trio. Um, and we kind of learned more about Gabe and his experiences maybe questioning his sexuality or not really wanting to question his sexuality but being confronted by uh, that instead Um, and joining the play and dating Maya and and all of and uh, (laughs) and threatening uh, Deborah with divorce um, everything that we that we love about Gabe (laughs) and um, I'm just honestly like I just want you to go off about Gabe and his story this season so I'm gonna like set the timer at 10 minutes and just just keep talking until until it goes off (laughs) well
1: it was it's funny because um I haven't watched the first season in quite a while but like there was definitely at least one line in the first season where I kind of remember thinking like huh I wonder if we're supposed to think that kid is like questioning or something like that and but i i mean i can't even remember what it was and it was very minor because like you said like he of all the boys in the first season has like the smallest part and um but like man like they locked out or maybe this was planned of just like how good he is in that role and like we talked before about how like um there's the cliche of you know the nerd-becomes-popular storyline that they that they did and everything. I, when I read um, that pen was doing a coming-out subplot, um, I mean, like, or, like, a queer story, because I, I don't think you can technically call this a coming-out um, storyline, I was like, oh, like, I'm interested in what that will be like, but, like like, I didn't know what to expect, because my main thing is, like, they're in middle school, and the show is, for better or worse, <laughs> very... Um, accurate as to how awful (laughs) and I was like I don't want to watch a show that will make me sad and have to sit through like bullying even though there's a way to do that well and I also don't want the show to like be very accurate as to how awful middle school is but then because we're in 2020 soften the edges of having a coming out subplot and having everyone react very nicely about it and everything and i was like how are they gonna do this and they just totally surprised me in that like it's not this coming out subplot it really is about this kid like maybe realizing like he's not straight like they don't even like i don't even want to necessarily say gay because they it's so early in what like um his coming out process will be like and it is so perceptive on little things in the way that that this show does so well of like, it's not the obvious things of suddenly he has a crush on, on a boy, even though it is implied that he might have a crush on Sam. Um, But
0: he definitely has a crush on Sam.
1: Yes. But um, (laughs) instead though, we sit through like these scenes that like, I mean, we joke that the show's like therapy, but like genuinely, it felt like therapy because it was things that I never thought about before. Of just like, like you know, there's one, the, one of the first subplots in the season where you realize that Gabe is probably questioning his sexuality is, um, they're doing yearbook superlatives, and um, I think yearbook superlatives, but like they're um, he's like terrified of being voted class gossip even though there's, like, literally no reason that anybody would, like, think he's the class gossip. But, like, like without ever saying it, this show does such a good job of showing, like, he's nervous about being class gossip because, like, there's a connotation that, like, you're gay if you gossip and everything. And it's so well done. Yeah, and- well-
0: and, be, and it's because, like, they have another character who is much more outwardly presenting as queer in yeah. a stereotypical sort of way. um, it, it And, like, not in a way where, like, the, the character himself, his name is Ian. Like, he's not being performative in any way. That's just, like, how he is in his personality. But it's coded as, as outwardly queer, and everyone else around them knows that but can't really put words to it. And so says, well, he's the class gossip. And, like, they cut to him, and you're just like, I don't know, he's literally just talking to one person and they're having like a nice conversation. There's nothing yeah. about this that makes you think that he's a gossip. <laughs> they never give you any other supporting evidence to that. It's just like, oh, gossip means gay, got it, okay. And then, yeah, it triggers this anxiety in, in Gabe where he's like, oh no, what if he think, what if they think I'm the class gossip? And like poor Gabe has literally, we've only ever seen him talk to Jafir and Sam about weasels up until that point. <laughs> so it's, it's so smart. Like that. Yeah. in like the way
1: it's like yeah it's like you know I mean I wasn't worried about class gossip but like there was that thing of like all of a sudden you like are like oh like I don't want people to think I do this thing it could be something totally you know random like like you know I mean like you know I remember in high school because um, I did not come out until um, college like in high school being like terrified that anybody would know I watched Glee even though every single person I knew watched Glee and it's like those sort of things where it's like you just create these connections in your head of like oh no like people will think I'm gay if they think I'm if if, if they think I gossip and it's like it's so smart and then there are little moments as well um, when um, Ian compliments Gabe's hair during the school play they're in and he gets like oh Just about whether or not he should keep his hair that way but then I love it like genuinely like was like moving in a way of like he changes hair back but then ultimately puts it back in like the way it was and I'm like he's growing like it's like it was such a (laughs) sweet little moment and everything and like I don't know I just was so impressed with it because I was like I've never seen this before just like such perceptive storytelling and it's like Again, like, I have no idea what way the show is going. I have to assume they might do something with, like, you know, him pretty clearly having a crush on Sam that he probably doesn't realize is a crush. But, like, I'm just like, wow, like, I just never saw something so, like, delicate and nice, but, like, <laughs> horribly real, <laughs> um, okay. like, on television before and uh, about queer people. And I'm just like, wow, like, this is... You know I mean like like you know the the idea of like representation being like uh you know something that could like make people feel better, I think gets a little you know um thrown around too much, not because it's not true, but just because like at a certain point it's like we have to say it's like okay, like this is representation, but it's bad representation, <laughs> and um <laughs> right, and with this though, I was like, oh shit, like. I don't know. I don't know any middle schoolers. I don't know if any middle schoolers watch pen fifteen. But like I showed it to my sister once who is um Gen Z, and she thought it was it was as if we were watching like Downton Abbey. Like she just was like was like you. <laughs> and um but like, you know, like I like to think that there are middle schoolers that might potentially watch this and like make the connections on some level. And then even more just like, you know, like for 20 somethings to just be like, oh wow, like this is like going to therapy. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's just, it's really, I, I was so impressed by it. Like I, I, I very much want the praise to be focused on Maya and Anna because it is their show, but I would like, what a great supporting subplot for, for their show.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's and we should give credit to Gabe, the actor who portrays him is named uh, Dylan Gage. And he just does such an excellent job. I really I especially like when you're talking about his relationship with Ian and how, and how that kind of like fear of of his of, of what Ian represents. Uh, how they deploy that is so is so smart and so well done because I think a, mu- a much easier thing to do would be like oh well Gabe's afraid about of, of seeming gay so he'll be mean to the kid who is clearly gay you know and that's and they and they never do that he's never mean to Gabe uh, to Ian he never he never is he's always very nice to Ian but Ian always creates this kind of this anxiety in Gabe where it's just like I don't like you you represent this thing that I don't know what to do with because it makes me remind it feel it triggers things in me that I can't really handle and so I'm just gonna always feel kind of confused around you and that I think is like yeah exactly correct in terms of my experience and I think in terms of a lot of people's experiences at that at that at that level of like that early part of trying to figure out who you are and what this means for you and and I really like this scene where like specifically where there's like where Ian and Gabe are talking in the hallway and he's, and they're having just like a very nice conversation. Like I think Ian is complimenting Gabe on like what a good job he did in like the scene when they were practicing for the play. And, and Gabe is just like being nice to him. Um, But you could see that like little bit, that kind of like, I'm a little uncomfortable, but this is also kind of nice. And I don't really know how to square that. Um, And then his two other friends, Sam and Jafir come by and, Gabe just, like, triples down on the toxic masculinity, homophobic language about, like, like going way, yeah, and, like, in a way that, like, he, like, is picking up where his two friends are, 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 like, taking him, but he goes way harder on it than they were, to the point where it's almost like, yeah, okay, you know, like, they don't really, and it's, and I think that that's so smart, because he's, because it's not getting targeted at Ian, because these are all, like, nice boys who aren't trying to be bullies to prove something to anybody but still ian's presence there definitely triggered that response in gabe and that's just i that is very well observed and well executed as far as the scene goes and it tells the audience so much about what's going on in like a really subtle way that i i really liked it's so well done it's so um you know just like
1: sweet and again like as as you know they make you sit through a lot of dark stuff in this season, and, like, not that the ending is a totally happy affair, but, like, I like how it's just, like, yeah, like, things are going to be rough for a few years, but, like, ultimately, I do think these kids will be okay, and that's a very nice place to leave the show, um, even though, of course, we'll be back, but, like, like you know, like, it just, it feels nice, and I'm, like, I'm happy the show can be both troubling but also like not be sadness porn or something like that like it's it's, and and like you know and not be like a peachy um perfect version of a coming out supply it's just like it's it really is just like it's just life and it's like oh like and I mean these characters are probably like you know I believe like five years older than I am so like our experiences don't totally wrap up but like match up but like you know like their middle school is in 2000 like it's good, like you know, the world's not Kurt and Blaine won't exist until 2009. Like, like <laughs> Dave's gonna have a hard time, but it's like you know, like he's building up the confidence, and it's gonna be okay, I
0: think. Yeah, and he's a great actor, so it's exciting yes. to, you know, that he, he's finding that as a as a place. Um, and I wanna I wanna get to the play um, because that kind of is the centerpiece of the last two episodes, and we can kind of wrap things up from there. But before I do, we would be remiss not to um, bring up history's greatest monster. Um, as I was before. gonna say. <laughs> who, who is played by the wonderful uh, Ashley Grubbs, and I'm sure Ashley is lovely, but Mora is a fucking nightmare, and uh, poor, poor Maya and Anna really were tested by her her toxic, her toxic, toxic uh, qualities. Um, if you haven't seen this season, uh, Mora is this girl who kind of gets she's uh, she's a very uh, well off girl who seems to have no real friends at school and she gets it in her head that she's going to win a best friends award by kind of like grabbing onto an existing friendship Uh, and uh, sort of just like insinuates her way into Maya and Anna's very very tight bond. Um, Mostly it seems because she's been sitting in front of them for like this whole entire year and so has just been hearing they're kind of constant dramas. which Because of course, my and Anna are having these conversations completely not thinking about the person who's sitting like two inches away from their mouths. So I think that that is a, a little subtle thing that they do that like explains why this is happening in a way that they don't like really put a lot of focus on. And I liked that. Um, but yeah so she kind of is like hey let's be friends we can be friends i'm pretty cool you should be friends with me fools uh <laughs> and uh invites and invites them to her house and pretty quickly like just becomes like impossible to avoid and every step of the way tries to like slowly drive a wedge between these two friends so that way she could sort of like win i suppose in this game of life that she's in and uh Yeah, it was some of the most harrowing stuff of the season, and I just want to get your, like, are you okay, number one? Like, did you, were you able to get that? Um, It was so, it was so well done. And it was funny because
1: I watched the first four episodes um, in one sitting, and then for various reasons had to wait a week before watching the last three. Um, And I just kept seeing all these tweets of, like, this, like, one shot of Mora. And people being like the villain of the year. <laughs> and like <laughs> funny I was like, oh, like, you know, it's typical Twitter hyperbole. And then I watched her the sleepover episode and I was like, oh no. Like she's she's a monster. <laughs> and, um and it's funny, like I, you know, like I do think back a lot to middle school and like how never before in my life was like there and never not since was there so much drama about like friend groups and like there were like inner politics to friend groups that were so intricate and like could fall apart at like the slightest thing but it is funny because you know like as guys I definitely more related to like the Sam and the Gabe sort of dynamic so you know like I I never knew Amora in middle school but it's been really funny talking to any woman I know who watches the show and the way they're all just like, yes, this is something that I never thought I would ever see on a TV show, but like it is (laughs) absolutely true. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, it's like you learn something new every day. truly by watching media written by um, people that aren't white men, because just like (laughs) a phenomenon I never knew about. And it's just like, it's fascinating. And I like, you know, the, it's not technically her final scene, but like, the moment that wraps up Mora's subplot where she um, is found out as being a fraud by Anna and um, she starts like essentially having a tantrum and like her mom has to come in and like make her calm down. It's shot like a horror movie as if Anna just discovered that like Mora has like been keeping bodies in the basement or whatever. And it's such a bold choice, but like it fully works because if I was in middle school, that's how that moment would feel. And it's just like, it's like it, it's just such such great direction because it's like you know at the end of the day like more alive about having one friend and it's like and she was manipulative and it's like you know like <laughs> that's not the worst thing and she'll probably end up being like an annoying person but like not a super villain but like it feels like she's a super villain and that is a very smart directorial choice and that actress is just like incredible i i cannot wait to see what she does going forward just because i'm like what a like you know i think all the kids on 1015 are great but like we talked about many of them have like internal roles and she just has this like like the most um the most artistic choice of one of the kids where it's like she's playing like a specific archetype of a character and it it's so, it's so well done i was just so impressed by her like truly a terrifying villain
0: 100 <laughs> percent i think that that scene that you're talking about in the bedroom is just everything that this show does so excellently because it's everything that you said right like it's you're taking in the emotion like the scene is taking in the emotional contours of the experience that anna is having as she's experiencing this right this epic betrayal this like total like bizarre freak out this kind of like she's just this monster that you need to like run from right it's so tense it's so much it's so thrilling and yet it's also like it was clearly a lie when maura said it and like it's she used she literally used a magazine picture like there was no ambiguity in terms of like was she telling you the truth no like definitely not you knew that from the beginning but like these kids are kids so like yeah you could see them being like i don't know that doesn't sound right but i'm gonna go along with it because like she's nice and she likes me so i should believe what she says right And she's so rich. It, that's, it, the, the-
1: that's amazing That she's rich and i think they do a very because i absolutely you know this is mean but i was absolutely friends with rich kids because they were rich at middle school
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i definitely yeah there's that is a true thing that definitely happens when you're a kid. And when you're an adult, um, I think you could, there's a lot of people that are still like <laughs> that. There's
1: a wonderful scene yeah. when mom is like, oh, like, what snacks do you want? And she goes through a menu of, like, every snack. And I was like, shit, like, I always loved going to a friend's house in middle school when, like, their mom had every snack because it was just like, it, it, it was like, oh, like, this is incredible. I'm going to come over to the house as much as I can. So it's, I, I... <laughs> In that moment as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But another moment that I really like in the Mora arc was when she kind of like, it's after school and Anna's mom is picking the girls up because they're going to be going someplace. And uh, and Mora kind of just tries to insert her way into the car, even though there's no room for her, literally. And also she's never spoken to Anna's mom before. And Anna's mom is just like, who is this girl? Get her out of my car. <laughs> and she just like, and she does this thing, which I like, I very much remember. And it's very, and it's very like jarring where like you, if you, especially if you're like a person who doesn't have like a ton of friends, right? And the friends that you have, are like know your family well. They kind of like fold into the contours of your family dynamic a little bit. And like, there's just these lines that you don't cross and these things that you don't say, cause that would kind of like, you just don't, right? Like that's just not what happens. And a new person who has none of that like who has no interest in reading the social situation and the rule and like the unspoken rules and uh who and is also just conditioned to just be like i'm just like this person who's just gonna say stuff and you're gonna have to deal with it right like when that type of person like enters onto the scene in your family and all of a sudden like shakes up the status quo and just like says stuff that like you're just not supposed to say it just has this like disorienting thing where you're just like wait a minute that's possible can I do that no okay good to know <laughs> and that, like, and, that, and I think that like she represents that so well like it's so good you see that in that scene and then you see the kind of like carryover of it in that truly upsetting um, shopping trip that they go on later with their moms, Maya and Anna's moms together, who give just tremendous performances in that mm-hmm. in that scene. Uh, we we like teased it a little bit earlier. But yeah, that was like truly maybe the most harrowing moment of the whole season where it's just like, oh no, like these these mothers are just like, my children our my, our children are turning into giant assholes because of this fucking girl who we can't stand, but she's a child. So like, what do we do about it? And like, <laughs> it was, I, and in that moment, I was like, so I had so much empathy for the parents, and just was like, I don't like, what do you do? That's horrible. Like, what? And that, for the first time in my whole life, I think. I was really persuaded by the idea of, like, oh, no, like, somebody can come along and corrupt my child. That's awful. <laughs> and, like, right, <provided laughs> that my whole life, I was always just, like, that's so ridiculous. Like, trust your kids, like, whatever. But they just, like, point this, like, they just do such a great job of showing how, like, so when they're at a very impressionable age, like, one person can come in, open a door, and all of a sudden you just, like, lose your kid, and it's and it's awful. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: no. I thought of so many times when, like, my because like i kind of had like a rotating door of a friend group throughout middle school and i just had so many memories of like my mom being like i don't like that person and me being like why you you just don't know them and now i'm like she was right (laughs) like you know it's like (laughs) trust your moms when they say they don't like somebody
0: (laughs) yeah they're they're not usually wrong (laughs) not usually um i no not usually um Moving off of Mora though, because I just before we get to the play, and that's where we're we'll end, I wanted to also just bring up briefly the fact that like some characters that played really big roles in season one have very small roles in season two. Like specifically people like Becca, who was kind of like the, the gossip, the actual gossip of the group, <laughs> and Heather, who's like the cool kid. Um, and then Alex, who was who was, you know, Anna's crush, who kind of exists as this like you know, this, like... He's a genius that... actor, my kid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in this season, and um, I'm just, like, what do you what do you think about that? Like, are you at all upset that, like, those characters who we spent time with, we really just uh, had very little time with? There was no really stories built around those characters at all this season? Or we you just, like, happy to, to go in a different direction?
1: Well, in terms of Alex's arc, um, I don't know how you possibly topped um, a dramatic reading of... Um, fly by Sugar Ray as your away message. So I understand wanting to put him onto the sidelines because that's just like, you know, his career peaked already. I hate to tell him, but um, but no, it, it was funny. Like there were certain characters. I mean, like it's hard to call them characters because like before this season, most of the child roles, except for maybe Sam, um, were kind of limited of like, they were just like, you know, like the kids that were also in the school. But like, um, it was funny, like a lot of them are good actors like, you know, the girl who plays Becca and the girl who plays Heather um, and every, and I mean, of course the guy who plays Alex and it's just like, whenever they did reappear, I was like, oh good, like they're still here and everything. And I like, I forgot which, I am confusing Becca and Heather, whichever one also goes to the sleepover. I was like, oh good, like this actor's still here because she's like very funny actually (laughs) and everything. And like, like, it's like, you know, like these are very talented young kids and um, I'm blanking out on her name right now, but there was a new girl in the school, uh, not a new girl in the school necessarily, but like at the sleepover who was forced to go there because her mom, their moms are friends. And she, that girl is like a brilliant actress also, just like the way she, yeah. that is a very specific type of middle school, it's just like, is like I don't want to be at this play date, but my, our moms are friends. So I have to be here. And she absolutely nailed that energy.
0: <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. That was Gina, who's played by Talia Simone. And yeah, she was just great. Cause it was like that perfect balance of like, I need to, not only do I have to be here, but I have to like, try to be nice or else like our moms will talk and then I'm going to get in trouble. And I do not want to get in trouble with my mom. So I'm just yeah, going to exactly. do what you make, want me want to do. I'm not gonna be super happy about it, and when I say to shut the fuck up, I'm gonna need you to shut the fuck up because I'm gonna be over it at that point. Like that was her energy, and I really, really respected that. I feel like I need that in my own life. Like she really was good about, like being a team player and like trying her best, but also setting firm limits and sticking to them.
1: <laughs> it's great. It's she. She was wonderful. Whenever they cut to her sleeping underneath the pool table, looking annoyed. It was. Like, it, it was like this is a mood. Like that is a mood. Little... <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah, so now going to like the kind of big finale is this play, which uh, for again, if you haven't watched, it's kind of uh, Maya joins the play as does Gabe. And it's sort of like this. It seems like it's a two scene, uh, like a two act play. And we only really ever get to see the first act with the two. It's like two couples and we get to see uh, Maya and Gabe who kind of pair up as a couple um, it's this sort of the the the, the play advisor um, who only goes by Greg because, you know, he wants to be, like, on the same level as the kids because, like, he's going to treat them like adults and they should treat him like an adult, um, which is just 100% perfect. <laughs> and he's played by um, Michael Ang- Angarano, um, who's been in, like, a million things. And he just, like, always makes me laugh. He just plays. he's just is so good at this sort of thing. So he's very I happy to see
1: later, uh, Maya Earth's Maya gonna in real life. <laughs>
0: Oh, is he really? Okay, that's funny. I didn't know that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so he basically, he writes like a Tennessee Williams play uh, for these 13 year olds, um, which is just perfect. And Maya and Gabe get paired up and they have to be this kind of like old married couple who hate each other and like I guess have like hate sex at some point in the course of the play. I don't know. But um <laughs> it's just it's just excellent. It's this like you get all of the stuff that we've been talking about this whole time with Gabe, um, like trying to deal with like he like like neither of them have had their first kiss they have to kiss on stage so of course this is like this big thing like if they kiss and it's only acting it doesn't count they both want to have their first kiss but then of course Gabe at the same time like both very much wants to kiss her but then his body is like but i but no i it won't let me um which is something that i really related to um and and uh and it's just it's just so perfect. I've never personally been in drama. Um I've never acted mostly because I was terrified at that age and for years afterwards of being in the sorts of situations that these poor children were put in. <laughs> so I've only ever seen it from the sidelines, but it just it had that like air of authenticity to it that was so perfect. And and meanwhile while our couples are like learning how to, you know, be real actors. Um, Anna is in this storyline where she sort of ends up as part of the crew. At, like the stage crew, um, prepping the stage and like becoming, do, and she ends up doing such a great job that she becomes the stage manager and has to kind of like work through um, uh, dealing with actors and all this sort of stuff. And it's just, it's just so funny. I think it's so well done. It really, <laughs> I'm really curious what you think, because I know you have more experience directly with drama at that age. Um, and uh, I just, I just loved every minute of it for those two episodes. I like that, they kind of push like because the because Maya and Anna are on opposite sides of this play they kind of do clash in an interesting way that they I thought was really good about exposing the ways in which these characters would act under these circumstances without ever drawing out the sort of like oh no will this strain their relationship will they not be friends anymore like I'm glad that they didn't go that route like They just let it be how it would be when you have to like deal with your best friend in a way that is like annoying (laughs) and where there's not like this like like they love each other they've been through so much like they're friends like they're still going to be friends at the end but they might hate each other while they're like dealing with this specific thing that they have to do together and that's okay and i really liked that that they decided to handle it in that way but um yeah in general like what is what do you think about how they presented everything and just like what are your thoughts about the about the play Oh, where to begin? Um, first of all, you're absolutely right with the call of, like,
1: I love how over the course of the whole season at multiple points, it felt like they were heading for a subplot where Anna and Maya get into a fight. But, like, it constantly swerves away from that. And it's so refreshing because, like, yeah, like, you, you – not always, but, like, you know, like, there are some friendships that form in middle school or in their case slightly earlier where it's, like – like you'll probably be friends for most of your adult life and everything like that like I literally am like roommates with my best friend from middle school, so it's like like you know sometimes that just you know it's like you, you're stuck together after after a few um after a few years but um what I love um i mean the pla- we'll start with the play just like it's such a silly joke, like the idea of like kids being forced to do a play that's like comically inappropriate for children to perform is like (laughs) like, you know it's like that's not a joke but they somehow made it feel like incredibly fresh like I had never seen it before and like I don't know I don't know how they do it I mean the choice of there's a great moment um when Maya is not sure if she wants to do the play and it tells her to read the script and it shows Maya reading the script and then it suddenly cuts to Maya's imagination of her in like incredible old woman makeup just like doing a monologue as if like you were suddenly watching a different type of movie and it's genius because it's just like it's like I didn't even listen to the monologue I was just like so taken with it and it's like the mere energy of her doing that is funny and then it leads to like you know we only see the snippets of the play itself but it leads to Gabe yelling like what are you gonna do Debra you're gonna divorce me and it's (laughs) it's I've seen this year like I, I I I screamed like I truly was just like
0: this this, this is brilliant brilliant writing <laughs> and um it's so it's so funny and also just for a second in that dream sequence where Maya is like imagining what it would be like if she was actually like an incredibly like like it, like an incredible actress on like a Broadway stage or whatever like Maya Erskine is incredible she gives like an unbelievable performance of the monologue and where I was just like I just had no idea that she had it in there like I think that what she's doing on this show is really hard and she does an excellent job but what she did in that monologue was just something completely different just like a a very there's like a, a like a classic sort of you know mid-century america melodrama monologue which is like a real like meal to like dig into and she just was like inc- like i was just like i want to see that play now <laughs> like <laughs> she was amazing <laughs> and like, then let, say, let like, them do a production of it with with my like, <laughs> listen we got didn't we eventually get the smash musical on board on broadway so like i feel like if we got that we should be able to get the at the what are you, I'm, I'm just gonna call it what are you gonna do Deborah divorce me the the, the, the play because I don't think we ever get the name of it but uh but yeah no she was incredible and then I loved the way that then she was able to modulate her performance to like what a really bad version of that would be when Maya really doesn't have her like h- like handle on things and then like yeah. when she has that moment in rehearsal where you know like like <laughs> the the play advisor like does the sort of thing that a real director might do even if it's like a little bit inappropriate for to do to a 13 year old but like psychs her up enough to like be present in the scene finally she actually does a pretty good job for a 13 year old and you're just like that I like that sort of like modulation of that same performance to on like those three different levels is really really impressive and I feel like not enough people are talking about that but I just and like I don't know I, I always run into this where then I like say this and somebody's like, yeah, that's what acting is. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. But like, I don't know. I just think that it's really impressive. No, it's I'm, it's good acting. Fuck okay. that. It's like it's great acting. <laughs> like, and then um
1: to go to the stage crew for a minute. Yeah, like I was a stage crew kid in middle school. Um, and you know it's funny. I hadn't thought about it in such a long time just because like you you try not to think about middle school, even though I have no like bad memories of stage crew particularly and they nail the stage crew in a way that is just like i was like shit like i never thought about this but it's so true like when you are in stage crew middle school you truly think you are like like the coolest person in the world and you treat it like you're an adult and i don't know what comes over you when that happens but like i remember in Um, elementary school and middle school I was like afraid to curse because of like Catholic guilt or whatever and then like I started doing stage crew and I don't know what came over me but I would curse all the time while in stage crew like I was suddenly in like a Marta Sessi movie and it was just like (laughs) that's the power of stage crew like suddenly you become like a seasoned union member who just is like (laughs) smoking cigarettes and is like tired of the act not learning their lines and like like it's so perfectly done and I love the way like on a level of like um the the season narrative like Anna is now confident and has something that she likes to do and it's like again it's like that sort of feeling of like oh good like she'll be okay even though like her father is going to continue to traumatize her through the divorce um but like oh, he's the worst He's the worst. But like at the very least, it's like, oh, like she has confidence and it's like genuinely sweet. And but also, you know, as someone who was in her shoes, just like incredibly funny to watch. Like I was just like, oh my god, like I've never thought about this. But like like truly, this is exactly what stage crew was like in middle school.
0: <laughs> I I just I loved every minute of it. I love the arrogance that you're talking about. That moment when they're like getting ready to do Hell Week. And and like the, the actors and the stage crew people get to the auditorium at the same time. And like, she's like, oh, are you looking for these? And she like pulls, she has all of the keys to the auditorium. She's like, actors come in five, actors report at 4.05 and it's four o'clock, thank you very much. And then go in. <laughs> it's just like, and, then the, and then the teacher who's like, he's the adult is like, oh yeah, my bad guys, I'm sorry, I made us come early. <laughs> she's like, <"What? laughs> so funny. I, I also I love the kid that they get to be like the older kid in the group Um, who is mm-hmm. uh, his name is Steve and he's played by Chow Long. And he's just like I mean, he grew up to be terrible on, on film Twitter, I'm sure. But uh he, he just was so perfectly that guy that I like that we all know where it's just like. Like, he's the most sophisticated viewer of media that he knows. And so, therefore, he is the smartest person in any room that he's ever been in. Except that he's, like, talking about things that are, like... incredibly pedestrian and just like and it's just it's just I don't know I I, it would be difficult for me to articulate because it's just so accurate that any any words that I would try to put onto it would diminish what they were doing um I just I loved it so much and I love the kind of like it it was almost like an almost famous sort of moment with like uh, him and Anna where where he kind of like gives Anna the opportunity to be in control and like to seize agency for herself in this incredibly meaningful way. But they don't make it into this big sweeping moment. But it also, but they still, they play it just enough that it like you really feel it and like it feels real to that character and to this world. And yet it also feels like this moment that is gonna probably stay with her forever where it's like, oh, that's the moment where I found my voice. And it's like, and it's just like, it almost made me cry when I watched it, because it was so wonderful. And she's been through so much. And like, I care about her. And I want her to be able to stand up for herself and figure out what she wants and what she thinks. And know that it has value, because she thinks it. And I just loved that. And I loved that that relationship continued to develop in the in the last episode. And that there was no level of it, like, oh, well, you know, she's a girl, so, like, whatever. Like, they don't bring that into it, and it's really nice. I don't think that kid would, especially once you learn more about his background and how much he, like, really cares about his mom because his dad's a douchebag. And, like, I just I just loved everything about that kid. I loved what he brought out of Anna, and I really hope they continue to explore that in the next season.
1: Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It is just, like, you know, it is, it's such... An empathetic show, I think, and it's like, you know, and I think there's even this, this profoundness to it of like, because it's semi-autobiographical and um, it's Maya and, and Anna really writing, you know, like about their childhoods. It it is very much it's about it's about empathy across different kids, but also like about you know like processing in middle school trauma and like like feeling okay with like okay like that sucks but like I became this person and it's like I just think it's like it's absolutely I think it's a great show but it's like I don't understand being a millennial and not watching it because I'm just like I feel like we all need this like we are a generation that is so (laughs) aware of our like trauma and everything where it's like we we need it we need shows like this
0: yeah, absolutely. And I mean, speaking of trauma, like we have to get to the end of the season, which ends with a, an amazing like post play um, dinner party of the kind at a restaurant where I we texted about this uh, when it happens. But just like they do this moment where like Anna and uh, and Maya kind of meet up at the restaurant, and they all of a sudden it's the it's the tracking. the the Copa Copana tracking scene from Goodfellas and they go through to the into the into the kitchen of the restaurant and you're like are they wait are they gonna go to like a secret bad room with like that's and then like no they immediately get like thrown out of the kitchen (laughs) sent back to the main dining room and everybody's like what the fuck is wrong with you leave it was so funny I laughed so hard through that whole thing Um, and it just really set the tone for just like a beautiful sequence of events
1: <laughs> no, and it's so funny because in the premiere, the, the season premiere, the when they go to the pool party that one of the cool kids throws, the <laughs> it is a recreation of the tracking shot from Boogie Nights when they um when um I'm blanking on his name in Boogie Nights. Um Mark Wall George Tickler um first goes to Burt Reynolds' house um and it's like they're they're having a pool party and it's like a exact recreation. I'm like that's a random choice, but then at the end, when they do the Copacabana shot, it makes sense of like, it's just drawing parallels for like adult viewers who may have forgotten of like what those moments feel like, whether it be a pool party or like your after your after play party of just like, you do feel like you are the coolest person that will go into that after play party. It would always be at TGI Fridays when I was in stage. <laughs> like, I wish we at an Italian pizzeria, that sounds great, but um, like, <laughs> like yes this is like it's so much more than just like a nod to a a well-known movie it's like it's like oh like this is just like they they get it they get what like they held on to what you feel in middle school basically which is i think a rare quality
0: (laughs) yeah no absolutely it elevates it to this point where it's just like yeah we are rock stars this is an epic moment when we're walking through this world and it's like and i love that because you're right that is exactly how it feels and like hell that's how it is like it's insane like these are children and they put on a play about middle aged angst and like pulled it off mostly like they are rock stars in that moment they deserve to feel that way you know and i love Mm -hmm. that this show is willing to give them that you know because that's it's so easy for a show like this to be mean and to like be demeaning and to and to laugh at these characters and to be like oh remember how awful middle school is remember how awful the people were it's so bad look and how stupid we were like it could be so easy to be mean-spirited and they really aren't they like are honest in a way that can sometimes be cringy but in as you said it's all empathy first it really is caring about these people and being and taking their experiences seriously and letting the audience inside of that instead of standing outside of it and like falling at it and it's just like it's just so much better because of it. And I just think it's, I think it's really an incredible show that really, really grew into itself in the second season. I mean, I think that probably if I, having seen this show, I, I should say this, a, a great critic um, once said that all great TV shows teach you how to watch it. And I think that this is definitely an example of that. And so I think that I went back and watched season one, I may get more out of it the second time around. Um, because now I really understand how to watch the show and what they're going for. I actually had this experience very recently re-watching The Leftovers, this show whose second and third season I loved and whose first season I really struggled with. And watching the first season a second time, I really appreciated a lot more of it and what it was trying to do. And I can imagine having that experience with Pen15 as well, because because I think this is a great show. And I think that it requires like a level of sort of... like you know suspending your disbelief and like setting expectations a certain way but once you really get on that wavelength that the show is trying to get you to there's really nothing else like it
1: yeah it's it's incredible like I just you know to be so I mean like well I'm. we can talk about it like the the final scene of this is so you know like hard and sad but like it feels it still feels like a hug of some sort and i'm just like god like it's just like it's such it's such one of a kind tv and i think at this point where like there's so much tv and a lot of good tv i'm looking not just for good tv but something that is just like this feels different and th- this this feels like truly different
0: yeah absolutely and i think that like the hard parts of this final the last few moments of the show really just like again, it's like it's very bittersweet, right? Like the fi- my, like Anna finally sees. What her mom has been too kind to show, to like rub her face in, which is that like actually it's her dad who's an asshole, (laughs) right? Like her her mom is not gonna be the one to turn Anna against her father because she just because she's a big enough person and a smart enough person I would say to know that that's just not the right thing to do, and that could very much backfire. So she we've seen her kind of take the brunt of it while Anna has been like yeah mom sucks dad you're right like the mom is the reason why we're here doing all this. And then at the at the at this party, she finally sees that like her mom is the one who showed up for her. Her mom is the one who's been trying to be supportive and her dad is too in his own fucking bullshit, <laughs> not to curse, but I don't know how else to talk about it. She's uh, in too much of his own bullshit to see his daughter at all except for like yeah it's us against the world and it's like well how about take five seconds to think about what her experience is and what matters to her right now and he just physically can't because he's just too wrapped up in his own problems and his own grievances with his wife and how bad his life is and he needs Anna to be there as his like Co pilot, so that way he's not desperately alone on top of everything else. And like, God forbid Anna has like a feeling or an emotion to herself, like, you know, and that is like what kind of gets crystallized in this last episode, where her mom is being really supportive. And it's like she gave her this, there's this scene where like she gives her this, which is so sweet. And Anna is so awful in the moment where she's like, gives her this glitter and is like, Oh, like, I know that you don't care about glitter anymore, but I want to give you glitter because you shine and I want you to remember that. And that's just like so nice. And Anna's just like, whatever, you know, because she just can't hear it from her in that moment. She can't take in that positivity. And which, of course, she can't. You know, she's 13, she's, her head is a million places, and her mom has, and she's decided that her mom is the place where she can safely store all of her animosity for the world. So she just can't accept it in that moment. But then the glitter ends up kind of saving the day by helping. Uh, be like a cue that Maya can use to like get back in the scene after poor poor Gabe uh can't kiss her on stage and uh, it really throws Maya because of course it does um and yeah so then and then it's like Anna saves the day and she's so happy and and her mom is so happy for her and so and there and like supportive and like here are these flowers that we got for you and I'm so proud of you and still Anna's like I don't want to hear that from you because I decided that i don't like you right which is so hard to watch and then her dad who is like the person that she wants to hear it from like didn't come to the play instead bought like a midlife crisis car <laughs> which like why would you need to do that in that moment it's like just wait until the next day like it's such a ridiculously selfish choice and then he just like storms into the room and the mom is trying to be like oh i did such a great job and he's like yeah yeah whatever i don't want to listen to you which is what Anna has been doing to her mom this whole time. And she sees maybe for the first time, like just how awful that is to treat anybody, you know? And Mm. then he just makes the entire thing about himself. And like up until the point where it's like, Oh, like they're driving home and like, this is her big night. And he can't let her have that because he needs to ruin it by being like, so, you know, I'm sure your mom told you that like, she's getting the house. So you're going to have to decide who you're going to live with. And it's just like, Dude, let her have tonight. Like, what is wrong with you? So yeah, I right. obviously I have a lot of strong feelings. <laughs> I <laughs> no, think that is, is so... a compliment to the show because they do it. They do such a great job where it's not cartoonish. It's not over the top. It's so so honest and believable and just. I think a lot of people could relate to it.
1: No, yeah, uh, it's it's so powerful. I, I the two two notes on that. The first is really quick but just like it shows how like concise the writing is on this show and how much they do with so little like throughout the whole first season throughout the whole second season like you're seeing how anna uh, um just finds her dad so cool and then like doesn't like her mom and um i mean like you know i think most viewers are able to watch that and recognize that whether they were the child of the divorce or like they know someone who was but like then um there's that great moment where he's like, I bought a convertible and Anna and Maya are just like completely ignoring the mom and like, Oh my God, we have to go look at the convertible and they go outside and they see a random car and like, is this the convertible? And then it's like, Oh no, it's that one. And it's like, they don't know what a convertible is. It's just like, <laughs> it's like it's cool. And like the dad is cool, but it's such a smart way of showing. It's like, they don't really hate the mom. They're just like teenage girls. And it's like for any of the viewers who might not, have put that together themselves. It's a really subtle way of being like, like, like these girls do not like this dad. They just, they, they, they want the cool parent basically. And then um, second, and my main point from that, from the finale, um, when I started watching season one, um, I was thrilled that Melora Walters was in the show playing um, Anna's mom, because um, I am a huge fan of her work in, the early Paul Thomas Anderson films. I think she she has a tiny part in *Boogie Night. She plays Don Chateau's wife in it, um, and she does a lot with that very tiny part. And then, um, like those who haven't seen *Magnolia*, like the Paul Thomas Anderson film, she's incredible in that movie. I think she's the best performance in that film, and that is a movie filled with like, like every major star of the '90s. Like she she plays a um a heroin addict who was abused as a child, and she's kind of working threw that on the day that the film set and um it's such an empathetic like lived in performance and i've always been bummed that like she didn't really do much after those films um because she's so good in both of them and then i mean like this isn't the show's fault but by the time i finished the first season of End of 13 i was like oh like i'm happy to see her but it sucks that like you know like she's just kind of the mom in the first season like she has a few good scenes but for the most part it, it is not a show about her and what a good arc they gave her over the course of the season of very quiet but it's what they like, they i mean like i assume they've seen boogie nights because they pay tribute to it in, in the first episode but like i i just think they are true 90s kids and like were influenced by like early paul thomas Henderson because like um they just write her the script that emphasizes all of her best qualities as an actor of just like such internal work so just like empathetic and in that final scene where Anna finally sees her mom on some level it's like it's overwhelming and like genuinely moved me to tears a little bit because I'm just like oh like they don't say it because Anna does not have the language to say it right now but it's just like this is such a nice farewell like to this to this subplot for the season and I was just like I was like wow like it's again like so much with not with with not much dialogue, basically. And I think Laura Walters is like really incredible in that in that final moment.
0: Yeah, I think I think absolutely that you need so much to go unsaid and yet still be communicated to the audience. And I think it's just she does a really excellent job. Um, and she's willing to be like a person in the background setting a mood and being in the atmosphere for a while before she finally gets to come out and have those moments. And those moments aren't as big as a big moment might be on another show, but they, they because of that, I think that it, it has all the more effect. So I think that it really speaks to her like generosity as a performer that she's willing to take a role like that and to know that like she can make those moments when she gets them really, really count. And I think that she's excellent. I mean, I think that, that that the hurt that she has in her eyes throughout this season is just really, really hard to watch. And I think that it, it's necessary, though, because it really makes that final moment feel so rewarding. Because you see that she thinks that she's losing her daughter on top of losing her marriage and maybe losing her home. She feels like she's alone in this. And she finally has this moment where, like, it really feels like Anna is seeing her for the first time, really, as a person and what she's had to go through and what she shielded her daughter from in certain ways. Like, her daughter has seen more of the messiness of their relationship than she clearly wants her daughter to see, but she's shielded her from, like, the worst parts that her daughter doesn't even realize are there until she's finally kind of in seeing her dad for who he really is. And I also like that it's, like, you know her dad's not a monster he's not like an abusive like awful human being who like now it's like oh god like we have to get away from him like he needs to be out of her life he's just an asshole he's just selfish and it's like there's enough (laughs) absolutely and it's it's like there's enough there where it's like no like he like she should have a relationship with him It's not that we don't want her to be with him. It's not that we want her to take sides. It's that like he needs to get his shit together and stop putting it on this little girl. You know, like that's the issue.
1: (laughs) No, exactly. It's like he'll he'll end eventually like level out and probably be fine. But it's just like don't be a dick. (laughs) Like it's like you go go make
0: friends and vent to them. Don't vent to your 13 year old daughter. Thirteen-year-old daughter, like even worse, and it's like, yeah, absolutely. It's just like, oh, that scene in the car made me so angry. <laughs> really I knew did. it was
1: heading that way. I'm like, he's gonna say something to fuck it up, and then of course he did, it, and are just like, oh, poor. And Anna, um, the actress is so good at like crying, like um, as her character, and it's just like, it's like, it's like, God, I feel so bad for her.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's true. I, I I guess that kind of like that kind of brings it home for us for this se- for this co- the coverage of this season. I, I always end every episode by asking my guest, "Do you think that if they make another season of this show, you will watch it?" I feel like the answer here is is pretty self evident, but I guess I still want to hear from you. Like, what are you looking forward to for the technically the second half of season two, which will be coming out next year?
1: Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, whatever they like, I trust them basically with wherever they want to go. Like, of course, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Gabe, um, particularly with his relationship with um, Sam and everything. But like, yeah, I'll, tr- I'll trust them with wherever they go. And I mean, like, you know, it's ch- like, they they've never specified the date. Exactly. But they do mention going to see Final Destination, um, <laughs> which opened in March 2000. So I'm assuming it's around then. And I'm wondering if, like, you know, I mean, the 2000s gets much more bleak after that. And I'm wondering if, like, they'll deal with the, the war on terror and um, things like that. And I'm, I'm very curious to see what perceptions they have. Because I think that's a very relevant thing to get into um, for if you're doing a show about millennials growing up and I'm I am I trust them entirely with writing about it
0: yeah that's interesting I hadn't really thought about like placing it in time and like where that would bring things but uh but yeah that's just on the horizon you know I think they're clearly taking their time I listened yeah. to an interview with the two with the two of them uh, with Maya and Anna um and they kind of spoke about how they liked they think about this show as a show about the middle school experience specifically and so they don't really think about like have their their intention is not necessarily to like continue on for years and years and watch these people grow into high school and college and whatever like that's not really how they're thinking about the show but um they also said that they pretty much felt like they were putting all of everything that they had into that first season expecting it to be the only season that they could possibly get and that their season but like having the opportunity to do season two really excited them and let them go places that they had never expected. And I hope that that is kind of like the guiding force moving forward. Um, I know that there's a lot of things that they kind of like obscurely referenced that might be coming in the second half of this season, which was originally supposed to be coming out in six months, but due to COVID their production was delayed and now it's looking like it's going to be more like a gear wait before that show comes out. Um, and that it's going to kind of tackle more adults, uh, like if you believe it or not, um, because I feel like this is pretty adult in its own way, but like more adult subject matter and um, more like more directly confronting sexuality. And they said that they're actually going to be having um, that they cast uh, two other actors who will be playing younger um, in order to, to pursue some of the more sexual stuff. So that way they don't need to just, because if you don't know, most most of what they do now uh, with the children they're not actually like making out and touching uh 13 <laughs> year olds um, they use body doubles right um thankfully uh, of but for but in order to do things that are going to be more physical they said that they actually did cast um, other adults to play the the 13 year old roles for for the next season so I'm really curious what direction that will take and like how far they're really going to go and like what they have to say about that because i think well we if you've learned anything from this conversation and you haven't watched the show like the thing to take away from it is is that they take they have very specific and very interesting perspectives on this sort of material in a way that makes it feel different from the usual content that you would get on this type of subject matter and with this type of age set so i'm really just excited to see what their take is on that type of material moving forward. And I hope that we do at least get to high school in in this. Like if they decide that like this is a middle school show and like it's gonna end with like eighth grade graduation or whatever, I think that would be like a very fitting end. But you know, right now we've had a season like, depending on how you classify it, a season and a half or two seasons, and we're still only halfway through seventh grade. So I think we got a long time before uh, we need to say goodbye to these people. Um, But uh, we don't have any more time before we have to say goodbye to you and our audience. So before we do, Matt, can you tell us where we can find more of your work on Pop Break and elsewhere on the internet? Yeah, um, I'm on
1: Twitter at metnamatthew1. Just you know, tweeting about Succession mostly, um, and um, whatever Oscar movies we might have. Uh, And you can find me on Letterbox at Matt T. Um, Marissa Carpica, the film editor at the Pop Break. um, She and I are currently recording our our third season of End the Winner Still Is, but both of those seasons, which is an Oscar um, retrospective podcast. Um, are available on Spotify to listen to, as well as wherever else podcasts can be listened to. But I do listen them on Spotify. So, um, like, I don't <laughs> know where else, but I've been told they're elsewhere. And, um, and yeah, so we're in the middle of preparing that third season, which will be exciting. Um, and then if we ever get close to a normal Oscar, um, season marissa and i will resume our other oscar podcast um the two early oscar podcasts but who knows what that looks like so we're on standby so you know maybe after the election when marissa has more free time we will be able to um start talking about the uh, again.
0: <laughs> yeah well the oscars are currently scheduled for april so i think we have time to still be too early and uh <laughs> for that show to get started um as for me you can follow me on twitter and letterboxd at media thinkings uh you can uh also follow my film podcast cinema joe's at cinema joe's on twitter and uh wherever podcasts are sold uh (laughs) and uh also um take a look for this channel pop break uh tv uh there's a lot of fun stuff happening there's my other show uh tv break which is once monthly with uh, Bill Bodkin, our editor in chief, and Josh Tanaki, our uh, TV columnist, where we talk about uh, all the ins and outs of uh, the TV month. Um, we also have our uh, twice weekly series, Love, uh, Live, Laugh, and Lovey, uh, hosted by Lovey McPherson, where some of her, where her and some of her friends get together and talk about their favorite uh, episodes of reality shows and primetime soaps and things like that. They have a lot of fun. Um, a good listen. Uh, we also have the Anniversary Brothers uh, once a month on this podcast feed. That's Josh and his brother Aaron talking about some uh, TV shows celebrating important milestones um, and anniversaries um, every month. And we have, you know, more stuff coming soon that I'm very excited to announce shortly. So so stay tuned to this uh, podcast feed for more. Uh, thanks again, Matt, for coming on. Thanks for talking to me about Pen15. Uh, I am so excited to have the opportunity sometime in the future to talk to you about another season. And I hope you can come back on when that happens.
1: Yeah, please. You know, I've, if you ever want to talk about chops, ha- have me on. I've been watching chops for the most part. So I'd be happy to talk. about. Chops. <laughs>
0: okay. Let me know when the season finale of chops happens and we'll have you on for that. Got it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you next month.